all have an idea uh, of a perfect family. Um, and when you consider Joseph's life and his family, uh, by no measure, on any account, would he, you know, would you consider that he came from a, a, a good family, so to say? I mentioned yesterday that the family that he was born into was of four moms. Uh, Jacob had married four women, two wives, and two technically legal at that time in that context uh, concubines. So you can imagine all the strife, uh, you know, uh, competition and fighting and sense of worth and sense of value. Um, just to give you a little bit more detail on that, as a young man, his father Jacob tried to trick his grandfather Isaac into giving him the family fortune instead of his older twin brother. So this is his dad, you know, broke apart his family for, for basically for wealth. Um, and so this is the family line that he came from. Uh, fell apart at Joseph's father, uh, Jacob had to run for his life when his twin brother about to murder him. So even, even uh, 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 you know, I mentioned yesterday that it doesn't come out of a vacuum, that it's generational, that a lot of th these things are transferred down. So, you know, the, the, I mean, imagine, put, put yourself in Jacob's situation, you know, as a father, and he made some pretty bad mistakes in his youth. He put, he put certain uh, material blessings or, or uh, material wealth and favor above his relationship with his brother, above his relationship with his father, broken relationships, and as a result, their family is you know, distraught. And so you can imagine Jacob having encountered God much later in his life, but having committed these sins in his earlier youth. Hey, if I put myself in this position, my thoughts would be, oh Lord, you know, have mercy on me. You know, I, I pray that my children wouldn't uh, commit the same mistakes that I committed. Right? So try to put yourself in, in, in Jacob's shoes and seeing this uh, breaking up of the family, this, this jealousy amongst the brothers being played out. And, and I can just imagine how hurtful and how painful it is. You know, I, I have uh, uh, struggles and, and past and certain things that I grew up with in my home. Uh, my father was terribly, terribly, uh, had a really bad anger issue. And, 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 you know, I grew up with that in my home. And, and one of the things that I, that I really pray for is that my children wouldn't have those same issues. But then really it has to stop with me. And so it's something that I struggle with. And so when I see my kids act out you know, in anger or lose their pool, like it really, it really hits. It's really, it's really hurtful. And, and, and I really struggle with that with the Lord. And so, um, you know, these things are transferred out. I had a friend... Uh, whose, whose father had gotten divorced and now he was at a juncture, a close friend, a dear friend, at, at a place where now he was considering, uh, uh, you know, there was a bad relationship and he was on the brink of divorce. And, and I just really try to encourage him and challenge him, hey, you know, this might be a generational thing. And I really charged and challenged him, you know, for the love of your kids so that your kids don't have to maybe battle this uh, um, you know, in, in, in their maturity, that you have an opportunity here to cut that off. You have an opportunity here to face this demon or to face this curse uh, that you know is seemingly coming down your family line, so that your children don't have to uh, you know deal with it. Uh, and so Joseph is very much uh, battling a lot of the battles that even his father had battled. Um, and I think he has an opportunity, and we'll see that in later verses, where he has an opportunity to overcome that. Um, what's interesting is if you look at the life of Jesus, he also comes from a not perfect home. 
he comes from uh, a family line um, in which his kind of uh, how do you say his legacy or his heritage or, or the line of people that he was born into. A lot of them include uh, you guys are familiar with Renee Ab, which was a prostitute. Uh, then in, in chapter thirty-eight, you'll see uh, two names of two sons that were born out of. Uh, basically a really broken family uh, 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 relationship, and their names are included in, in, in the lineage of Jesus as well. And simply to state that our Messiah and our Lord and Savior, uh, who is perfect and who is gracious, that, that he understands or his history comes from that of brokenness, and he understands our broken state. The passage I read today, it talks about how the son, you know, Reuben, had interjected and the brothers had actually wanted to murder. Uh, but Reuben was there and he wanted to make sure that uh, no you know, physical harm came about Joseph so that, so that Reuben could restore Joseph back to his father. Uh, they end up putting him in the pit. And the, and the mention of the pit, it says that the pit that Joseph was put into was empty and without any water. Was empty and without any water. Uh, we know from scriptures that uh, water often symbolizes the Holy Spirit, right? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph was put into this dark or this empty pit, and uh, and it signifies that it was a place without water. You could say that it was a place. Uh, uh, kind of symbolically or, or imagery-wise without the presence of God or without the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now we know that when Jesus was crucified, uh, that the Father, when, when Jesus, the, the fullness of, the, uh, of, of sin was put upon him, you know, my sin, your sin, uh, sins of the world, past and present, that in that moment, this perfect relationship between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, um, in that moment where Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? And, and the Father had to turn away as the sin of the world was placed upon him. And, and I've talked about sin before in the sense that it's not simply uh, God's preferential treatment. Um, it's simply that his nature is perfect and that anything of sin cannot stand in the presence of God. And so we, it's not that God doesn't love us, it's just that we're separated by sin and our nature does not mix with his nature if our nature and our sin state were to come before his nature, we would literally be consumed. Not because he doesn't like us, but simply by his nature. He's holy, he's righteous, he's perfect, he's without sin. He's so awesome, like the power of the sun. Uh, and so the only way to come before his presence would be to be uh, covered or to have atonement or to have his nature upon us, which is given to us by that of Christ Jesus. In his perfect nature, having not sinned, going to the cross, taking the sins of the world upon himself, we believe in that, we proclaim that Jesus is the sign of the Lord. We profess to that, and therefore then His Holy Spirit lives in us as a seal of the promise, and then therefore we're coming into right standing in relationship. And so when the sin of the world comes upon Jesus, just think about this for a second. Of all the physical pain, of all the emotional pain, of all the relational pain, of all the rejection of friends, uh, at the end of the day, uh, the, the biggest anxiety or the biggest attack or the biggest heartache for Jesus was when there was separation from the Father. Now you and I both know, right, if, you, if, you're, if you've been a Christian long enough, if, if, you know, in maturity, that you, that everything could be going well 
seemingly, in terms of you know, uh, uh, circumstances, and yet you know, people can look at you on the outside, and uh, uh, materially and health-wise, and everything seems okay, but we could be so distant from God, and there could be such turmoil, I mean, such attacks on our mind and in our soul. I mean, outwardly, physically, you know, maybe you even said to yourself, what's wrong with you? Like, everything's okay, like, you know, everything's in place, but inwardly, there's, there's this, this turmoil. It's almost like a, you know, the phrase where we say, like, living hell, right? And then, and then there are other times where, as a believer, physically or circumstantially or, or, or materially or, or career or health, things might be falling apart, but then you have this incredible inner peace, the presence of God. And this presence of God somehow supernaturally transcends the circumstances. And though you know that your past self or your old self would be freaking out and, and really be, be anxious, yet somehow there's a supernatural peace. So we know that our peace is determined not by our circumstances as mature believers, or we hope to attain to that, um, um, not by our circumstances, but simply by their inner presence. And so uh, Joseph is thrown in this pit, uh, and it's empty, and it's without water. And it's just a reminder of what Jesus was when he went to the cross, separated. And, uh, and, and, and I take the without water, or without the Holy Spirit, or without the presence of God, as, as the real sort of uh, punishment or, or, or uh, uh, you know, living hell sort of situation. Um, I remember a testimony that I heard uh, of, a, of a woman who had escaped, a North Korean woman who had escaped from North Korea, was a refugee, had come and brought her eight or nine-year-old son across the border at great risk of life, um, had found a community uh, was tricked into uh, an arranged marriage with a farmer on, on the Chinese side. Um, it wasn't far before she was aware that he didn't like uh, her son, and, and he had thoughts of you know having his own family with her, and, and didn't like the fact that she brought another son into the family. Uh, one day she comes home after a day's uh, long worth of work, and the son's not home. And in Korean, and, and, you know, obviously their language is a barrier. She's just shouting in Korean, and he doesn't speak any Korean. He's, he's only speak Mandarin, and just shouting, terrified, screaming, "Where is my son? Where is my son?" And the guy wouldn't get eye contact with her. And she's telling us this story. I had a translator, um, and, and she's telling us the story. And you could see the just the emotions and the fear in her eyes. And, um, just this family situation really broken, you know, because of circumstances forced into that situation, uh, really taken advantage of, and just, just screaming and crying out, where's my son, where's my son? Um, he, you know, he wouldn't say anything, he would just keep avoiding her. She knew something terribly had gone wrong. She runs out, it was in the dead of winter, uh, and, and the way she says it is the blizzard, snow was coming sideways. I mean, you couldn't yell very far because no one could hear it because of the force of the wind and the sound and the gale of the wind. And she's just yelling out her son's name, yelling out her son's name, you know, where are you, where are you? You know, no no luck, you know, no one's there, son doesn't respond, just walking around, finally goes a little bit further into town, comes into town, and it's the same thing. Just, I mean, at this point, she doesn't care. You know, when you when you come over from North Korea to China, you, you want to kind of, uh, kind of lay low, uh, not give out uh, uh, your, your identity, you know, uh, uh, acquaintance, where you're from, things like that. And so 
they'll spend a lot of years trying to learn the language, trying to assimilate into the culture, trying to find a small job, whether it's at home or around the neighborhood. But at this point, she didn't care. She was just looking for her son. She was screaming out. She comes into this, uh, uh, I want to say like barn or, or meeting place or, or warehouse, and she walks in and, and some, some woman sees her frantically screaming, and, uh, and, and the woman comes to her and says, you know, she can't understand her also, but recognizes that she's distraught, looking for something, grabs her, you know, puts two and two together, senses that maybe this is what's going on, brings her into the warehouse. As she, she's telling me that she's walking in, there's a, a group of people in line, and as she goes further, then there's a center, there's a larger group of people. And sure enough, when she gets there, her son is right there in the middle, weeping and crying. Sees, the son sees her mom, and the son screams out, you know, why did you try to kill me? And the mom's like, what are you talking about? And the son's screaming frantic, like, you know, why did you have him send me out to kill me? And the mom was like, if I was going to kill you, I would have left you in North Korea. You know, why would I risk bringing you over the river and risking my own life and risk your life to, to bring you over here? And so what ended up happening was, while the mom was away, the father had taken the eight-year-old son into the field, had put him in a jar, giant jar, I don't know if it was for water or for farming, into a pit, had, had attempted to basically stab him and enclose the pit so that he would bleed out and, and, and die. Um, he was found by the farming community um, brought to this warehouse, mom was looking for him, and then they fled that place and found a church, ultimately got saved. Um, and, and the incredible part is, uh, they were at a church service and the pastor was talking about uh, Jesus being with you in your deepest and your darkest hours, Jesus being with you in your suffering. And during that message, after the sermon, the boy, the eight-year-old boy, then goes to the mom and says, Mom, I don't know if I ever told you this, um, but Jesus was with me in the pit. Jesus was with me in that hole, in that pit, when that man had tried to murder me and tried to bury me. And he said, I didn't know his name before. I couldn't recognize, I didn't know what to call him, but I know his name today, and his name is Jesus. Isn't that incredible? Right? That this boy was in this pit of death. Someone tried to take his life, was alone, was terrified. But yet, even before he had a sense that someone was there with him, that someone was going to protect him, that someone was going to bring him out of this, and just an incredible testimony, and that finally when the preacher mentions the, the love of God, that he's with you in your deepest, darkest circumstances and situations, that he could finally put a face to the name and attribute it to Jesus. And this is why Jesus goes to the cross. Yes, to forgive all our sins. Yes, to make our relationship right with God. But he went to the cross also so that inevitably all of us will have those moments. All of us will have those deep, dark moments. Maybe even more than once. And, and for us and for you and I to know that Jesus understands our pains. That he's walked a lifetime in, in, in our shoes. That no matter how alone, no matter how dark, no matter how empty, no matter how far apart from people you feel, no matter how far apart, I mean, I mean, get this for a sense, no matter how far apart from God you feel, Jesus understands what that feels like. Jesus knows what it feels like to feel distant from God. That moment that, he, that God turned away when the sin of the world was born upon him. And so there's great 
comfort and, 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 and knowledge and acknowledging that even in my most despair situations, even if my pastor doesn't understand me, even if my house church leader forgets to reach out to me and call me and check up on me, that Jesus understands. And uh, that, that really, um, you know, for every believer has to be our baseline or foundation. You know, we have accountability groups, uh, we have our community, we have families, we have spouses, we have children, but ultimately, um, only God can minister and speak uh, to us in those situations. Um, oftentimes, for people who have gone through extreme trauma or difficult seasons, or you might be going through something now or something recent, uh, you know, we have an inner healing ministry that we're developing and, and we hope to roll out sometime this, this year to really minister to our church. And really what this is about is people who've been hurt by circumstances, by the world, by relationships, uh, by family, by friends. You know, it, it's the people you care most about that have the, uh, the, the capacity to hurt you, right? If you, if you close people out, that, and you know, and relationally, then there's they, they can't really hurt you. But when you're open and when you're vulnerable, you know, to a spouse or to children or to loved ones, oftentimes those you trust the most have the, the ability to hurt you the most. And so, you know, you, you come upon people who well, they've been hurt before, so I don't want to be hurt again. So they put up these huge walls. Uh, but if we're honest with ourselves, those places where we felt neglected or hurt or betrayed, uh, I find even for myself. I've had these thoughts, and I find that as I counsel and, and, and guide for others, that oftentimes the ultimate blame will go to God. That when you don't have enough bullets or fingers to point at your colleagues, that when you've played this thing out, and at first you 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 uh, accuse or you put the blame on your boss or on your spouse, and then and then you play things out, and then and then usually ultimately then it'll come back to well, there are certain things I could have done wrong. You know, I, I put myself in that position. You know, ultimately I'm responsible. And then and then it goes to well, actually, if God's in control, then and so usually when you play these things out through the process of pain and anger, ultimately, oftentimes it can end with with uh, uh, putting the blame and hurt on God. And sometimes, often, is people aren't even aware. You know, they they've put the blame on God, but they don't know that they have. And yet, there's this disconnect with God, and they don't know why they can't get close to God. They don't know why they can't trust in God. Uh, unspoken, buried, happened a long time ago. And so, inner healing, oftentimes, one of the key components is asking an individual in this particular memory of difficulty or something you're going through now, even, where was Jesus? Can you see Jesus in your circumstance? In this difficult situation, and, and, and oftentimes it hurts because you felt like God as a father abandoned you. God wasn't there. Why didn't God protect me? Why didn't God not allow these things to happen? And um, that's oftentimes our, our train of thought. And I, and I would think things like that as well. But then I realized in my theology or theology of suffering, right, that God never promised that if you give your life to him, that he would make everything okay. God never promised that if you give your life to Him, that your life would be riddled with blessings only. Right? So I think uh, you know, a lot of churches, including our own, and, and, and that we have to unpack this theology of suffering. 
that in fact some of the greatest encounters and experiences with God that carry us to the end are birthed out of some of the most difficult places in our lives. I would go as far as to say is that if that if everything is too comfortable and you haven't stretched or been stretched in your faith or tested or gone through dark seasons, that you haven't experienced God in, in maybe some of the most profound ways in His suffering. Right? Paul prays his prayer that I may know the power of the resurrection or, or the suffering, that he may know Christ in, in, in intimacy, not just the blessings, but also in his sufferings. And so there's something to be said about the verses, you know, when I am weak, then I am strong. I mean, it just seems so countercultural. It just seems so uh, 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 not natural. And so in our weakness, oftentimes is the very place where we can experience and encounter uh, the presence of God. Um, and so this is what oftentimes is missed out. Um, and so I have another friend, the uh, Irish guy, he's a pastor, wrote, wrote a couple books, and he does uh, devotionals with his kids. And I said, oh, what, what kids' devotions do you use? You know, I'm looking for some good ones. And he says, I don't use any kids, but I use the Bible. I was like, how old are your kids, man? He's like, they're like seven, eight, nine. I was like, how, how can you, like, do you create your own material? And he, and he simply says this, I read any passage of the Bible, whether it's the Old Testament. I can read this passage right here that we read today. Um, Joseph's brothers, you know, wanted to murder, Ruby wanted to save, uh, convince the son of a bit. He could read these passages to an eight-year-old, and this is a question that he asks when he does these devotions with his kids. And it's almost like a, a mystery or a discovery session. It was, where is Jesus? Whether it's Old Testament, whether it's New Testament, whatever passage, whatever context it is, he says, can you see Jesus in this text? And when he says, can you see Jesus in this text, what he's talking about is the presence of God or the, the embodiment of Christ, the grace of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ. And so in this passage, if he were to ask his kids, where is Jesus? Then the children would say, Jesus is in the pit with Joseph. That's, you know, and so it's not something outright that you might see. It's something that God has to bring revelation to you. And so then... Uh, I would say to you, you know, in your situation or circumstance or, or in past pains, where is Jesus? Where was Jesus? I remember being uh, uh, yelled at by my mom in her green Oldsmobile. I remember the detail of the car, and this is an ugly car. It was an old car, and just you know, having I, I, I knew my report card was coming out that day. I was in third grade. I was terrified that my mom would would physically abuse, and so I told my teachers, you know, for getting a C. Uh, uh, and so I told my teacher, I'm really sick, I have to go home. I'm really sick because I didn't want to get my report card because it's, it's like torture to give it to you, to give to your parents so that they can then punish you. So it's just, uh, so I was like, I don't want to get that report card. I want to go home. I don't feel well. I know I got bad grades. And the uh, teacher said, oh, I'm, I'm really sorry. You know, I hope you feel better. You know, it was like weird or something. Here, go home. Here's your report card, by the way. <laughs> I had to go home early and get my punishment and show my parents. And she was just irate. She was just upset. And she was yelling. And, and at one point, she was um, like, you know, "Get out of the car! Like, get out! I don't want to see your face!" And, and I was, I was so scared. I was, I was, I was weeping. And I was, I was at the same time, I was angry. I was like, "Yeah, I want to get out of this car." And I remember thinking, "I want to get out of this car. I want to leave this family. I, I hate this family." Um, and then many years later, you know, that was like at the age of ten. You know, at the age of 33, I'm doing inner healing for the first time, and someone's walking me through this counseling, and, and what are some of the traumas of your childhood, and, and where did you feel like God abandoned you, and, and this story came up, and, and the counselor said, where's Jesus? And I said, he's not in the car, you know, he's, he's on the moon or something. 
you know, and, and he left me alone, and my, and, you know, my mom and my dad, and they abusive and all this. Um, and, and, and so I said, I can't see Jesus. He's not that. He doesn't care. I, I didn't meet Jesus until, you know, 15 years later. And then take a deep breath and, and, and pray through once more and say, you know, and we would pray, Lord, would you reveal yourself to Sam, you know, during this time. And really going, it's, it's just about going back to that place, going back to that time of that struggle, of that pain that was never really healed. It was never, you know, imagine like a cut or something or a wound or a break that was never properly healed. And so as a result, you walk through your life with this limp, right? And one day God, you encounter God, and one day God wants to heal you. Well, it does require a bit of going back and a, 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 a you know, precision sort of a treatment or a surgery. And so I had to go back and I was on the second or third time where I said, I see Jesus, right? And, and for everyone and for your circumstance, it could be different. But for me, in that moment, and it was just like a presence, I knew that in that moment I didn't know or recognize, but I knew that God had a bigger plan. And coming to salvation at a later time and then receiving this healing, it says, well, where is he? I see him. He's holding the door. He won't let me leave the car. He won't let me leave my family. He won't let me run away. Right? He sustained me. He protected me and sheltered me. And later he would bring healing and restoration through that. And so uh, it was just really incredible to then take that exercise and to look at all the places where I had encountered difficulty and darkness and all the places where I felt like God left me behind. Because the truth of the matter is, is if we believe in the cross, if we believe in the ultimate price that Jesus paid, then we have the faith to believe that in all times and in all situations that Jesus was with us in the pit. And so my challenge and charge for you, whether it's something that happened in the past or whether it's something that, that you're going through right now, and it really is, especially if you're going through something right now, because it can feel like God is so far away, but I'm telling you, Jesus went to the cross and died so that you would know that in your deepest, darkest pit that he is there with you now. So then the operative question is, Lord, where are you? Where are you in this pain? And, um, and the key is to really just continue to seek after him, to continue to... to you, know, you may not see his eyes, you may not see his face, but then to even kneel down before the foot of the cross and to simply make yourself present before him and to continually ask yourself, Lord, what are you doing? And, and in that moment, the revelation may not always come, but we know that in time, and, and even as we're only halfway through or just the beginning part of Joseph's story, that ultimately in the end, God will work out for the good for those who love him. That anything that the enemy throws at us for harm, that the Lord has a bigger plan ultimately to turn into good. Amen? So let's bow our heads. And just let the Holy Spirit speak to you this morning. What are some of the darkest areas of your life in the past? What are some of the struggles you're going through today? And just to profess in faith, even if you don't feel it, even if you don't see it, in faith, to believe that Christ through His death was able to relate and understand our death and our dying. And that Christ in His resurrection that gives us the hope that somewhere, somehow, someday, God will bring back to life and restore. And just invite the Lord and say, Lord, please walk with me in every situation, in my home, in my family, 
in my children. I don't see how, uh, uh, I feel like I'm not doing a good job as a father. I feel like I'm not doing a good job as a mother. But Lord, show me that even through the most difficult times, God, that you are there. Father, we thank you, God, this morning. Just once again for the reminder. As Joseph was sold into this pit and was empty and was stripped of his uh, uh, tunic, his majesty, his covering, his authority, the same way you were thrown into the pit and you were stripped of your royalty, of your majesty, of your authority. And it was because you went into the pit and suffered and separated from God that you were then elevated to the highest place, to a position and a place where you could minister to and heal and touch all peoples of all nations, of all generations. And so, Lord Jesus, this morning, we give you all the praise, we give you all the glory. God, we thank you, Lord, that you understand us. Lord, our prayer then is that we would experience you in our, in our most difficult situations, but also, Lord, that we would be able to minister and relate and to care for others who are suffering because of the suffering we have gone through. Lord, how can we serve a suffering world? God, if, if, we, if we have not suffered, how can we minister to those who are hurt and broken, God, if we are so sheltered and comfortable that we never get hurt or broken? Lord, thank you for modeling for us this vulnerability, this going into the darkness. Lord, some of us might be challenged this year to leave our comfort zones and our protections behind and our, and our covering behind and willingly, it sounds crazy, but willingly go into the fire and to suffer with other people. We ourselves don't have to suffer. We ourselves are safe. I'm, I'm emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically, materially comfortable. But I will willingly uh, 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 you know, uncover, I will willingly walk into the fire, walk into this discomfort, because I know that I can meet you there, and I know that you can minister to others through me. It's not through my success, it's not through my comfort, it's not through my power that others will be ministered to. It's through my humility, it's through my suffering, it's through my vulnerability, God, that I myself will encounter you, and that others will be ministered to and so, Lord, I pray for every single person here, Lord God, that there will be no fear, Lord God, about being uncovered. No fear about being vulnerable. No fear about going into this pit and feeling empty, Lord, because it's in that very place, Lord, that I know, that the Scriptures tells us, that many of us here know it's in that very darkness, in that very cave, in that very pit, in that very lower depth, God, is that where we see you face to face. And it's incredible. And, and, and though we're so low, God, we are so high. And though we're so empty, God, we are so full. And that is truly the embodiment of the gospel. That is what a non-believing world will come into our church and say, well, I thought these guys were like this. I thought these guys were like that. And then people told me, but man, they are humble. Man, they're walking in the pits alongside with everyone else. Man, Jesus is alive. And so, Lord, we thank you, God. We bless you. We love you. God, there's no fear in the pit. No fear in the darkness. We're not empty, God, because you were emptied out so that we could be full. We pray in Jesus.
Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship. Let's just respond.